Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I'm Pastor John. The ministry of Headed Home is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find and answer the tough questions and remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. What a great song, amen? The heart of worship, really ultimately at the end of the day, it comes down to that. What is in your heart? I don't know what's in your heart. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, I don't want the pastor to see me. People will say that I'll be somewhere, and they'll say, oh, no, I, you're a pastor. I'll say, listen, don't worry about me. Worry about the one that's going to be long before I got here. I'm nobody. I'm just a person like you that God called to be in a position like this. You know, br- Brother Jonathan, why do you dress the way you dress? Well, I want to dress like Jesus did. Uh, I want to look like Jesus did. And what was he? Authentic. He lived among the people. He was a car. He was just a normal person. And most people don't understand that we have made it into something it's not. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about being in God's word and letting God speak to you. It's about being authentic in your relationships with people, not putting on a facade. Don't stop putting the masks on. Throw them away. Don't even entertain. It's exhausting to live this fake facade and making everybody your, your online persona and everybody think everything's wonderful with you when inside you're dying. When you get involved in authentic relationships, you know what that means? That if you're having a tough day, you can be transparent and honest about it. Hey, I'm having a hard day, and that's what I want here. I want people at Longview Baptist Church that are authentic, that are real, that love Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love their neighbor as themselves. And you know what? We're not going to always get it perfect. There was only one that did. That was Jesus. They killed him. But I don't ever want to be accused of being not the real thing. I don't want to be accused of living a facade and living a false, idolatrous life of impressing the world with what they think I am or you are instead of being the real thing. Because at the end of the day, walking with Jesus Christ isn't easy. Serving, honoring, and glorifying Christ is tough. And it requires a continual looking introspectively at the inside, being honest about our brokenness, our struggles, our battles, walking with each other in genuine fellowship, praying with, praying for one another. No one here has it figured out. I hate to inform you of that if you didn't know that. But what we're doing is step by step, we're walking hand in hand with the God that does have it together. And he is growing us. He's conforming us into his likeness. And I'm so thankful that, by the way, the day that we do have it figured out is the day that our faith becomes sight. That's the the glorification process. We are in the sanctification process, which will culminate one day in the glorification process when we stand in the presence of the Lord. And I hope you're excited about that day. Everybody had a good week? By the way, if you didn't have a good week, it wasn't God's fault, right? It usually is an issue with us. And I'm thankful, though, that if you've had a tough week, God is gracious, and he will use, as we have been studying continually for the last couple of years, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So I hope you understand that. I hope you're living that, all things. It's tough to have that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, right? It's tough. When we have to consider all things joy, right? When everything that happens, good, bad, or indifferent, it is 
tough, especially when you are looking at a disastrous mess that you're in that God's allowed for reason and purpose. That is easier said than done. But I hope like Job that if God so allows us to go through trials and tribulations, I pray not to that level, but if he does, that we will do what the response was of Job when he had been informed that the, the last of everything he had besides his wife had been taken from him and his response was worship. Uh, praise God for that. I hope that that will encourage you and challenge you. If you have your Bibles today, I have, which I hope you do, turn to Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. We're going to look at verses 7 through 10 today. We're continuing our study. We're just about done with our study through the book of Acts. And this morning's subtitle is The Ministry. And we're going to look real quickly at the things we looked at last week when we covered verses 1 through 6 of chapter 28. The first one was, God will put us where he wants us. We were able to see how that shipwreck that Paul had been involved in, right, at shipwrecked on Malta, that was divinely orchestrated. God allowed that for a reason. He allowed that for ministry, as we will see today. Nothing that God allows is for, with anything other than a purpose and a plan that God allows. And it was beautiful as we saw that. He will put us exactly where he wants us when we are but clay in his hands. Can we wrestle with the master? Can we say, God, no, I, I'm in, but I'm not into that level, Lord. You, no, thank you. Yeah, we can. What will that result in? Not good things. When Jonah decided he wanted to go on a cruise instead of going to Nineveh, what happened? We know what happened. God had to do a little character correcting, and God will do that. But God gives us this, that uh, pesky little thing that we saw starting back in the Garden of Eden called free will. God gives us free will. And it's a tough thing because in all reality, I wish God did not give us free will. And the only thing that we could do was the right thing all the time. We had way too, we had way too little amens on that. I'm a little nervous. I wish we could do only the right thing all the time. Amen. Okay. The rest of you don't want this. Oh, me. Right? But uh, the good thing about God giving us free will, though, is we can conform into his likeness. When your desire is to be desperate for him, the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit will give us the ability to live the life that God has called us to. The second thing we looked at in last week's study was this. Nothing can happen to us that God doesn't allow. Again, beautiful thing. Again, as God orchestrates each thing, is God author sin? Absolutely not. But God can take those sinful things that we at times engage ourselves in, even horrific things. The story of Samson. God took this horrific, this, God had this Nazarite vow that Samson was a part of even before he was born. His parents didn't drink wine. You know, they didn't do all of these things that they had been told not to do. They did it. He'd been in this vow since before birth. Look what happened with Samson. Samson decided to do things his own way. God allowed it. But what did God do? He took and used it for his glory. Sadly, Samson ended up dying in the midst of the judgment for his actions. Can you imagine the moment his eyes were taken out of his head? His eyes were plucked out. Here is this man that had been so strong that God had used so powerfully. 
And he knew at that moment there was no way his vision would return. And what did God do? He allowed him to die in the part that he had cried out to the Lord in repentance at the end there. God, let me get judgment. and uh, Let me get uh, justice for my, for my eyes. You know, Lord, let me. And what did he do? He died. So God used that for his glory. And church, whether it is something that we have done, and I think that's a lot of times that we get overwhelmed in our sorrow. Uh, that's why Paul said when someone's repentant, make sure that you don't allow them to remain overwhelmed in their sorrow. What that means is you make sure when somebody's repentant that you restore them in friendship even. You know, you get somebody who's hurt your, your feelings, they've broken that violation, that bond of friendship through betraying you. If they are truly genuinely repentant, you have a biblical obligation to restore them to your friendship and fellowship with them. Be quick to do that because a person that is not can be overwhelmed in their sorrow and despair. Very, very important biblical principle that I hope that we continue to take and glean from God's word. The third and final thing we looked at last Sunday was this, the effects of God's saving power is demonstrated through his healing power. And we saw with Paul, he should have died, this viper that came out and attached himself to his arm. I don't know why, I love that story. It's such a powerful story. But Paul should have died from it. The islanders were like, uh-oh, <laughs> justice has escaped itself. He should have already died, but guess what? He's going to die now. And no, what happened? God didn't allow anything. He didn't swell up from it, which would have been the, the due course. If you've ever watched somebody be bitten by a copperhead, um, I know the guy from Snake Salvation. It was that church, uh, Snake Handling Church, uh, the Coots guy. His last, his last name was Coots, but he died. Uh, I had actually watched that series, and um, it was called Snake Salvation. And that pastor in that documentary died. God cannot be mocked. Amen? And uh, I think that's the reason that God gave us this thing that we often use as a weight, a balance weight between our shoulders. We, we can misread Scripture. We can test the Lord our God in only one place in Scripture that God says to test him in, and that's actually in giving. Amen? The only place that God says to test them, and I understand faith, I think it's important to, in faith, we, we do a lot of things in faith, but I think going and grabbing poisonous reptiles and saying, you know, hey, how big is your faith? My faith is big enough to stay away from something like that that can take your life, amen? And I've already told, hey, you guys have already told me, you bring a poisonous snake on me, I'm gonna show you what I got faith in. I got faith in that um, weapon, that is going to dispatch it. Amen or oh me. Amen. Uh, I hope you found Acts chapter 28. Again, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10 this morning. <clears throat> and if you're physically able, let's stand out of reverence this morning for the reading of God's word. Now in the area around the place was an estate belonging to a leading man of the island named Publius who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. So Paul went to him and praying and laying hands on him, he healed him. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us. And when we sailed, they gave us what we needed. Father, thank you for this privilege this morning to worship you. This privilege, Father, to assemble, to offer up a sacrifice of worship. God, I pray today, Lord, that you would hedge this building, these grounds with your protective angels, purge anything 
that would not honor or glorify you so that you will be the sole focus of everything said and done. God, we know the Holy Spirit can move and only the one that can move in hearts and bring ones to the place where they understand they're a sinner in need of a Savior. And Father, we give you full and free reign to do that this morning. God, allow your word to speak to the things in our hearts, God, the conviction that needs to happen, the encouraging, the challenging. Lord, we give it all to you, and may all glory be unto you. We ask this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, uh, verse 7. So now in the area around the place was an estate belonging to the leading man of the island named Pubilus, who welcomed us and entertained us hospitably for three days. Leads to the first thing that I want to share with you, and it is this, convicts welcomed by the power of God. Again, what were many of the ones with Paul? Were convicts being transported. Let's just say you have a, you don't have it as much now, but let's say we have a, a, a community over here. Just think Pepper Hill, all right? So Pepper Hill has a runaway TDOT, Tennessee Department of Corrections bus that goes off the rails, wrecks in the middle of Pepper Hill subdivision over here. I do not assume that by any stretch of the imagination are the residents of Pepper Hill going to come out and warmly embrace the occupants on that bus. Sure they will. Don't move. Right? This is what you have with the ship because they had all these prisoners on there. Remember what they wanted to do before the shipwreck happened, right? They wanted to kill them. They didn't because of Paul. Another divinely orchestrated thing that God did. So to help you kind of grasp that, they would have known, the people on the island would have known that there were convicts in these people. Again, they rightfully assumed that once Paul got bitten, they knew he was a convict because they said, "Uh uh-oh, he hasn't escaped death and now he's going to die. So they knew this. But what did God do? God orchestrated, again, the divine to accomplish his purpose. And that's what we see right here because these convicts were welcomed by the power of God. Interesting thing, God not only allows them to be welcomed, but sets the stage for the miraculous, the spiritual, this ministry to occur. See, God does that with us. I don't think we appreciate the magnitude of that either. We talked about it, you know, we're going through experiencing God in our class this morning. Just love that. By the way, I love the Blackaby series. If you've not done it, I encourage you to do it. It's awesome, though. It's growing in your walk with God. It's experiencing the power of God. This morning, we talked about the Holy Spirit and how we read God's Word and the Holy Spirit applies it to our lives. And whether it's convicting us over something we didn't do or we did do, making it right. And what does that do? that brings us to a closer, more intimate walk with the Father. And it's awesome. Again, I want to tell you this. If you're not reading the Bible, I feel bad for you, but I don't. Because you're getting what you get. You can't want an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ if you do not allow him to speak to you. Well, wait a minute. God can just set the bush on fire. Why does he need to set the bush on fire? We have his word. 
Don't sit around and ask God to speak to you in a unique way when God has given us his word. Every answer to every question, every encouragement, every challenge, every story uniquely designed to speak. And by the way, the Holy Spirit, if there's a different way that you and I need to be spoken to, the Holy Spirit will do it. So again, it's not too late. You can get started. I know we got a bunch of people reading. Please read cover to cover 20 minutes a day. If you're an average reader, you can do it, I promise you. But I want you to have that relationship. You might go, Brother Jonathan, why are you so vested in getting everybody to read God's Word? Because I know that God's Word can do what I can't do in a thousand hours sitting down with you one-on-one in counseling. And by the way, as those of you who experience my counseling, first question out of my mouth is, are you reading? When you say no, I say, we're going to stop this in just a second after I pray. This week, I want you to start Matthew or wherever I'll tell the person whatever God lays in heart, and then we're going to meet in two weeks. And if you don't read, we're not going to meet anymore. Because I can't give you insight into something that you won't allow God to speak to. I'm not, listen, we don't involve ourselves in the law of diminishing returns, right? Meaning, the more we invest, the less we get. I'm not going to invest, I'm not going to waste your time because, listen, I'm not, the, I'm not the one with the answers. We follow the one and we serve the one that's got the answers. You got a marriage problem and you won't get in God's word? You're not serious about saving your marriage, are you? Because if you were, you'd get in God's word. You'd do what needs to be done because that would matter to you more than anything else if you really seriously are desiring a fix. You need a question answered? If you don't get in God's word, don't tell me you are desperately doing everything in your power to find out what God's will is because you're not. God's word is the only thing that will speak to everything. And by the way, let me just encourage you. On Mondays and Tuesdays, I spend my days with people who are one footstep from eternity. You don't want to get there one day. You don't want to get there and sit back with regret, wishing that you had done something that right now you can do. Because Psalm 23, as it goes at the end there, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. What a comfort. But if you've not spent time in his presence, what does that mean to you? You haven't wanted to be in his presence because clearly you've done something that's prevented you from having that deep walk and relationship with him. Are you seriously wanting to dwell in his presence? Because when you won't allow him to speak to the situations of your life, is it that important to you in the first place? Another statement. So, you're married. You see your spouse for one hour a week, but you don't get up and pick up the phone to talk with them. By the way, you have a one-way phone. You want to tell them what you think, but you're unwilling to hear what they say. See, that's what happens when you have a relationship with the Lord where you pray, but you don't read the Bible. Go tell your husbands, go tell your wife, listen, our communication, I really want to grow in our, our relationship. Uh, I've made a special phone 
that the, the part at the bottom that you speak into, I've removed the microphone, honey. So when you're on there, you're going to be able to hear what I have to say, but you're not going to be able to respond at all. Isn't that exciting, honey? I hear some guys going, oh, Lord, make it happen. But you know what I'm saying. You're not going to have a relationship, are you? But you want to say that, oh, me and God have a unique understanding. I, oh, no, really? I just removed any ability for you to justify not reading God's word. Again, I love you, and that's why I'm saying this. I don't get anything out of this other than watching you grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and watching you become the man, the woman, or the child that God divinely created you to be. And you're robbing yourself. You're allowing the enemy to say, look, it is pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. That's all that happens when we allow the enemy to rob us from this awesome ability for God to speak. We are being robbed. And I want to encourage you to remember, God is an awesome God. He works in hearts. He works in lives. And his desire is due to do the supernatural in your life. He wants to take your life of ordinary and literally allow you to live the life of extraordinary. But it can't happen until we're all in. Again, verse 8, listen close. Publius's father was in bed suffering from fever and dysentery. So Paul went to him, praying, laying hands on him. He healed him. Leads the second thing I'm going to share with you this morning. It's this. And it's kind of an application that's pretty close to one I had a couple weeks ago. God showed his healing power to reveal his saving power. So what had happened? Remember, the viper, we saw that. Just talked about it a minute ago. Viper bites. Hey, nothing happens. They think he's a god. What God had done was showed his healing power, the divine healing power of God, to then open the door to allow Paul to minister to their needs. Now we see the healing power of laying hands on them. Isn't it ironic that when you minister to someone, whether it be taking a meal to someone who's struggling, you find out about a need in somebody's life. Someone has been in the hospital, how we have the meal train here, right? And we sign them up for meals and take some meals to them if they want them. You know what that does? When you minister to a need like that, it opens ears. But when you sit around and you say, hey, I'm praying for you, but you know the need and you could meet that need, but you are refusing to, be well, Scripture says, right? But you don't meet that need. You failed miserably. Not only that, they're not going to listen to you because you didn't care enough to meet the need and help remove the ability for them not to hear what you're saying. It is much more powerful. They're not, they're not classifying and characterizing our walk with Christ by the length of our talk. It's the depth of our walk. If you're not willing to minister to an immediate need that someone has, you're not going to have that ability to speak to the deeper spiritual needs of somebody's lives. And I, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to, hey, send a text out. Hey, praying for you. Praying for you. If there's anything you need, let me know. You know what you've done? You put yourself out. Now be willing to. Don't just say that. Many years ago, I had a water problem, right? I had a water problem. And I was having surgery. And three separate people said, hey, I'll, I'll come over there and I'll fix it. Well, I was excited because 
you know me, I don't want to burden you unless I absolutely had to. So I was very encouraged and I went to surgery that day. I had the one where they went through the front of my neck, went back, fused part of my back back there, got home from surgery and guess what I had? I had a water problem. So I got out of the hospital, came home, waited till the one that had brought me home was not there. Guess what I did? I went down there and I fixed my water because I had to. Now, that didn't affect me spiritually. I will tell you, it hurt me. It hurt me psychologically because it really reminded me that ultimately at the end of the day, there's one person we have, and who's that? He'll never fail us. And God was teaching me and refining me and not allowing me to be bitter and not allowing me to do the things that we could buy into. But we need to do... what. When you want to meet those needs, you be a person. I, was it Sunday night or Wednesday night? Let your yes be yes, your no be no. If you say you're going to do it, you do it. You do it. Be a man or a woman of your word. That is that picture right there. The convicts are welcomed by the power of God. We see that. God opened that door. But then God showed that healing power to reveal his saving power. He allowed these people to be healed. Dysentery sick, majorly sick. There's a lot of people on this island that would have died had God not sent Paul there, but what it did is opened a door to ministry, even though it was a very short one. It was only three days they were on the island of Malta, but God used this. He divinely orchestrated every bit of it to minister to these people in ways that we will never even be able to know this side of eternity. Powerful picture of that right here. But if, you know, this convict show up, then this convict who'd been bit by the snake should have died but didn't, has just laid hands on your sick loved one? Can you imagine the testimony wanting to know? I want to know what you're about. You've got to leave in a few days here. No way. I want to hear your story. Anybody else ask, would ask the same question? Look at the beautiful picture of God. God just didn't even crack these doors. Remember how I said when God opens a door? It's not just cracked. When God opens a door, it is flung open so that there is undoubtedly the hand of God that did it so that we are not worried about the God of confusion, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. Don't walk through that door that you had to finish pushing open because it had a crack there. That's deception from the enemy. You walk through only those doors that God, without question, as you have prayed and sought God's face, that God has so thrown open that there is no way to confuse that. Than with other than the hand of God in your life. You know what you'll find? You'll find the power of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 being manifest in your life like nothing else. Unto what? Unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. What you're doing, in essence, by living like that is saying, God, I not only know you are powerful, but I know that you're not that God of confusion. God, I don't want in any way to even entertain anything that is not part of your will. So Father, as you answer, this is no faithlessness, Lord, because that's what some people, oh, you're just, you're just faithless. No, I want to clearly only do what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says. Trusting the Lord with all of your heart, leading not unto your own understanding, in all of your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your paths. 
So what you're saying is, God, I only want to honor you, glorify you, live for you in line with what you want according to your purpose, plan, and will. That's what we're seeing. There is no way beyond a shadow of a doubt that you could say that this was not divinely orchestrated of God. We see it plain as day. Do you want to live a life like that? Again, hence, go back to exhibit A. Read the Bible. Study God's word. Spend time in God's word. Don't walk by sight. Walk by faith. Pray about every financial decision that you have. Any job, don't say, you know what? I don't like the atmosphere at the job I'm working at because they, they talk bad and they this or that. I'm going to quit because I know God doesn't want me around that. Uh, I, I don't around that atmosphere. It's bad on my spiritual. Have you lost your mind? God's put you there as a testimony and a witness. Now you might start saying, God, you know how difficult the atmosphere has been that I'm in. Lord, you're God. You know this before I ever said it to you. God, you know that I'm struggling even with my own tongue as I'm hearing this day in and day out. Lord, I'm walking away when they say foul things or talk bad and talk these jokes and the things that they're wanting to do, and I'm doing everything in my power. God, I pray if it be your will, either strengthen me to a level that I don't even begin to comprehend as I'm in your word and I'm faithfully seeking your face. Or God, would you please open the door somewhere else where the environment might not be the level where I'm struggling like I'm struggling. I think God will do one of two things. Either God is going to grow you through that to the place where that doesn't become a struggle with you and you're able to be a beacon of hope, a lighthouse in the lostness that you're around, or God will open a door. But you don't walk through a door that you haven't prayed for because you know what you might find out? What it has, uh, what is to have little. But then what happens is when we make those decisions, what's the first thing that happens? Quit my job. I'll never forget many, many, many years ago, somebody got upset, upset and all bent out of shape about their job, and they went ahead and just left it. They, they were very close to retirement. And I said, go back right now. Don't do that. That's foolish. Go back. Tell them that you were just having a bad day. Go back. Oh, no, no, I'm not doing it. I can live off my retirement part. Don't do it. It's foolish. Don't. You left on emotion. You hadn't prayed about this. Oh, no. Well, you know what happened in short order? The wailing, the moaning, and the complaining commences. I don't know why all this happened. I know why you acted not based on God's leading. And now you don't like the consequences of it, and now you're all upset, and you're all bent out of shape, but you've made this bed, and, you, and then they got mad at me. They got mad at me because I spoke truth to the situation, and brothers and sisters, I don't know what else to do. Either we can be a person of truth and a person that speaks the reality, or I can sit there and go, poor thing, I don't know how in the world, how that ever would happen to you. You're such a good person. Don't do that. Just be honest. Amen? Be honest. Allow the truth of what you should do and shouldn't do be the litmus test with which things are done and the way things are carried out, but don't, don't walk through doors that then you want to play victim. That's one of the things in our culture that just heckles my feathers. You know when a dog or what if they get uh, tore up, they, their hair goes up? That makes my hair go up. I ain't got much of it, but that makes my hair stand up. It makes me upset. Because people want to play perpetual victim. We make decisions, and based on those decisions, we have good and we have bad results. 
But it's not based on what somebody... Yeah, you can be victimized. I'm talking about the things that we make a decision and then we don't like the bed that we made. My dad, his mom, had a real nice statement growing up. You lay down with the dogs, you get up with the fleas. I know what it was like. I itched a few times in life. Because I made bad decisions in my friend group, but then my parents wouldn't hear it. Oh, you know, it's bad influence. Oh, no. Now, my parents taught me something that I'm very thankful for. Personal responsibility. It's a weird phenomenon. It's called personal responsibility. You make decisions. You have to be willing to accept the consequences of those decisions. But I said the other night, let your yes be yes, your no be no. Anything other than that is from the enemy. The Bible says... What you sow, that shall you also reap. Scripture also says God cannot be mocked. Very important to remember, everything we're learning in this right here is how to greatest glorify, honor, and lift up the name above all the Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We can sit around and go, you know what? I don't like what Brother Jonathan says because... Man, that guy on TV said that God's desire for me is to go out to the mailbox and just will into being raises and bonuses and checks from all these different places. That God's desire, if there's sickness in the home, there's a spiritual root to it every time. I rebuke all that in the name of Jesus because that's not scriptural church. Because if it was, we'd have the biggest church in Tennessee I'd be out there on the, I would be on the steeple on Sunday mornings with a megaphone and a massive amplifier amplifying that because man, would that not be nice if that was truth. If God's sole desire was heaven on earth, I'd be all over it. Anybody else? Oh, Lord, help us. If that was truth, we got no, 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 y'all are too humble. You wouldn't want to take it because you'd be scared to be ruined, right? It's like the old saying, God let me hit the lottery so I can help everybody. Sure. It's called help yourself. That's what it's called. There's all these grand ambitions, but by the way, God's given us what we need right now. He's given us just as much as we can be trusted with. And a lot of us, that's just a little. Oh boy, there it went again. Next uh, week's sermon is honesty and transparency with self. But I'm so thankful this morning, church, that as you see this, God's showing his healing power to reveal his saving power. God does that with us. You think that God has not brought you and I through things so that it doesn't become a part of your testimony? I know it is. I had the most deadly form of meningitis on the planet August 29th of 2007. The most deadly form of antibiotic-resistant staph bacterial meningitis in my brain given courtesy of a hospital in Nashville, one of the most trusted ones. Wasn't done on purpose. It was done accidentally by a gloveless hand that was stuck over a spinal leak in my spine when they put their finger over it and then sewed it up. I was supposed to die. They told my wife I was going to die. My mother, who was a nurse for all these years, got on the plane after she got out of church. It was a Sunday. I'll never forget it. She got on. You ready? She told me. She said, I got on the plane to come and see my dead son. That's how deadly what I had was. Do you realize 
I have a few things, but I have none of the lasting consequences of that level of meningitis happening the amount of time that I had it untreated, even though I was in the hospital, they didn't listen to me. I knew what I had, I knew I had meningitis, and they didn't listen to me. So it took from the day before it was four o'clock, inside edition came on or five. I knew I had it at that point. The next morning at twelve o'clock was when they went in to do a surgery and flush. That's over twenty-four hours. So I'd had it before that. Why did God allow that? Well, not only did God allow it, because God had a purpose to, to work in my heart, my body, my mind, my soul, but he also gave me that so I can share with you, God is the God, Jehovah Rapha, the healer. When I went back for my follow-up appointment, I don't know if it's six, eight, or 10 weeks, I was in a wheelchair when I came into the hospital. When I went into his office, I was in on a cane. And when they came out, when they'd been in there a long time, they found me. I was the only person in the waiting room. They kept coming out, and they'd go back in there and come in. Finally, they come in there and says, is there a Jonathan Oster? I said, that's me. So I walked back in there, and the doctor said, uh, hey, uh, what's going on? Like he was astounded. He, he could not believe that this was the same person that had been. And I said, God. And I said that. And no sooner did I say that, he turned around. He walked out of the room, and I'd never seen him again. He didn't want anything to do with hearing that God had healed me. He didn't. I don't know what he was looking for, like, Doc, you just made it, you know, you caused a miracle to happen. No, I wanted to say, you guys caused this, and the power of God is what, but I never got that opportunity, because they didn't want to hear about what had healed me. They didn't want to hear why I was still alive and not, if you remember the girl at Lipscomb, I think it was, that ended up losing her legs and her arms. Mine was worse than that. And God supernaturally protected me. God had a purpose and a plan, though, church. Remember, I wasn't a pastor then. I wasn't, I remember I had uh, answered the call to ministry. Or you remember when I did this? Just before this had happened. And I remember as I was dying, because you know when you have that, you're going to die. And I knew this, and I was okay with that. I was fine with it. But I remember saying, ready? This is how the enemy, I remember saying, what a joke. You didn't call me to ministry, Lord. I'm gonna die, and all those people are gonna make a mockery of what I thought I was doing. I remember that. I remember it vividly. And it's as if God's going, <laughs> you don't even know what I'm gonna do. See, that's God, and what he does as he allows these things, he shows his healing power. So then he opens those doors to reveal his saving power. So these things that God allows in your life, you use those as part of your testimony of the power, the healing power of God. As God opens doors in your lives, allow your test. Don't be ashamed of your testimony. Don't revel in the sin of it. But you make sure that the testimony of the redemptive power of God you're not ashamed of that because that's part of your testimony. That's part of the ways that God uses to open doors and minister to people. Now listen to verse 9 and 10. We'll be finishing up. After this, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. So they heaped many honors on us. When we sailed, they gave us what we needed. The third and final thing I want to share with you this morning is this. Had Paul not been faithful to be led through the trials there would never have been any triumphs. And I want to encourage you this morning, this is the, the, the main part of the message, 
I don't know what you're going through. I, I know what you've allowed me. And we don't know, like just us a little over a year ago, we woke up one morning with a normal life, and that night got a call that changed our lives. All of us are going to have that. Those battles right now, those insurmountable obstacles that you're going, God, I don't know how we're going to do this. Maybe you're sitting there right now and nobody in this building or someone watching online right now, maybe right this very moment you're going, I don't know how our marriage can be saved. I don't know how in the world that anything is going to be salvageable from the mess that we have. I want to encourage you this morning that these trials right here, God will use. And if you will stand firm, you will trust in him, you will experience the triumphs. I can't even tell you the number of people in here who had impossible situations in their relationships that now, I know one in particular in this church body, they share this, that's why I can share it. Uh, 16 years later, here they are, married, in love with each other like they've never been in love with each other. They made some hard decisions, they stood fast, they trusted God, and God delivered them. And as a matter of fact, I'll never forget the first time I met with the husband. I said, listen, if you'll listen to what I'm telling you, you will be able to stand up in, in just a few months or a couple of years and say, I never thought I could love this woman like I love her. And that person was able to do that. And that's the power of God. That is the power of God. But if you don't stand firm during these trials, these tribulations, You'll never experience the triumphs. We can take the easy out. Matter of fact, we can take the easy out every day. Go to the doctor, man, tell me some nerve pills. Anytime things get tough, just pop you one of them footballs or what they call them, peaches. Throw one of those annexes in your mouth or volumes or whatever it is. Just escape. Just get away. You know what that'll do? Nothing. You've got to deal with the root of things. You got to deal with the root of things. It's easy to take an escape, isn't it? I know. Many years ago, alcohol was one of my escapes. It was easy, man. Just crack that, that uh, silver can, let her rip. You know what that did? Absolutely nothing. What it did was allowed me, though, to hide from what the real issue was. You know what the real issue was? I had grown up in a godly home and I had praying parents and grandparents. And God had me in his sights. And it wasn't until I realized my need for a savior and my, my religion, right, my praying a thousand times if I ever remember it, to get saved, not wanting to go to hell, but I didn't know what a relationship with Jesus Christ was. That's what so, was so powerful just a few Sundays ago when Todd was up here because we talked at and, uh, the uh, New Year's that night and a book, not a fan, he said, I'm not a follower, I'm a fan. And here at his age, he was able to recognize that and come to saving faith in Jesus Christ that night. And this morning, I ask you again in closing, are you a follower of Jesus Christ or are you like this man was? I was a somewhat fan. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? I ask you that this morning. Do you know the power of God and the work of God like Paul as he remains steadfast facing the giants that he faced over and over again. As a matter of fact, you remember, Paul had people, remember when it was Agabus that tied herself up and said, listen, the belt ties us up. This man's going to be basically going to be killed. Paraphrasing right now. That's what it said. 
Paul knew that he was going to die. They were reiterating what Paul already knew. But how the human condition could have gone, listen, God, I'm all in, but this dying stuff for you, I'm just kind of out on. I want to continue to be a pastor and minister and a disciple, apostle. I, I, I'm, I don't like that. No. It's as if each person who warned him of the impending danger that he was facing solidified the resolve in him to stand firm, steadfast on what he knew was the only path that would bring him the fulfillment that life can only bring us in the center of God's plan and will for our lives. Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? Maybe this morning when I talked about the Bible, maybe you might be here and it, maybe it's starting to get upsetting to you. The more I say that, the more you're like, all right, okay, we've already heard that a thousand times. I want to encourage you in this. You're going to hear it a thousand more. And I mean that because I know that that's the only place that the perfect peace of God which surpasses all understanding that guards your hearts in Christ Jesus will be found. I don't have a plan up here for you. Oh, listen, if you just do this and you read this little devotional here and you turn around three times after you do it and you shout, ooh, rah, rah, praise the Lord, glory, hallelujah, man, that, the end of your problems commenceth. Because the reality is, uh, Karen Carpenter, it's only just begun. Because it is. I can't stand up here and sell you a lie. I'm not going to lie to you. Not only because I don't want to stand accountable for you for that. I stand accountable for enough in the weight of responsibility as a shepherd. But why would I stand up here and lie to you knowing that it will never happen unless you are steadfastly standing on the unchanging truth of God's word? peace of God will be nothing more than a mirage. And I don't care what pastor tells you that. I don't care if it's a pastor. You go, well, preacher, you're at this little church in the middle of Unionville, Tennessee. The guy on TV, he's knocking down probably 1.5. He's got 300,005. I don't care how many people they're watching online. I don't care what you have. If it's not true, it doesn't matter what's following them or how successful they may appear or how many books they might have written. Just because I'm not, I know that the faithfulness of God's truth and God's word cannot be understated and underestimated. You want to see God change your life, your family, your sphere of influence, your heart, your everything? You fall passionately and desperately in love with him. The truth. Not your pastor. I don't care if you like me. I like you too. I love you. You're my brother, sister in Christ. I want to have great authentic relationships. But don't follow me. Follow Christ. Follow him. Be in love with truth because it will never let you down and that will lead you to a savior that will never leave you, will never forsake you. And as we watch Paul's final hurrah here in a sense, ministerially speaking in this, this pilgrimage, what we're gonna see is the passion with which he followed Christ should be the passion with which we mirror in our lives and the life that we live will not be a life not worth living. It will be a life worth living and fulfillment 
like none other. Let's pray. Father, thank you. God, this morning for your word. God, thank you. Thank you for the truth of it. Even at those times, God, when it just cuts us to the core, Lord, thank you that it does do that, that it pierces, it cuts, it lays bare the joint, the marrow, Father. It goes to the heart of the issue. Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as your word has been proclaimed, that, Father, whether it's in this building or online, that not only have ones heard the truth, God, but allowed you to speak to whatever the issues are of their heart, their marriage, family, work, whatever it is. God, I pray during this invitation this morning, Lord, that we would respond to whatever it is that you're doing. You are so good. You're so faithful. And God, I know this morning that you have a mighty work that you want to do in each and every one of us for your glory. God, we cannot be used until we have been pushed to the background and that you alone are preeminent. God, whatever needs to be laid down today, confessed, Lord, maybe today we need to take on something, reading your word and the, the various aspects of, of following you and being a, an apostle, disciple. God, I pray that that would happen, Lord. And as we lift up those in prayer that you have laid on our hearts, I pray that we will do that with passion, that we will not grow weary in lifting them up in prayer, knowing that it matters. They matter. You sent your son Jesus to die for them also. God, I pray for those situations that they need lifted up, that we will be passionate in praying for those, pray until something happens. God, for those here that, that may have heard this morning's message and are saying to themselves, I want to experience what he's talked about today. Whether in this building or online, I pray that your spirits allowed them to understand that they're a sinner in need of a savior, that the separation that they're feeling is what happened. We were born like that. From our father, we inherit the sin DNA. But God, I pray that they would realize today that Jesus Christ has paid the price to restore us in fellowship with you. And therefore, our created purpose, walking with you, is going to be able to be fulfilled. But it's only through that confession of sin, our placing our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and asking you to be our Savior and the Lord of our life can that occur. God, alone may you be exalted, glorified, lifted up during this time of invitation. And we ask all this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Headed Home with Pastor John. If you'd like to know more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, please visit our website at longviewbaptistchurch.org and click our contact link. Thank you for joining us.